This morning, I hope to toot my horn here in just a little bit, all right? So I brought that along. It's good to see you all. Uh, great to be able to worship together. Uh, I just want to, first of all, just thank everyone for your prayers for my, my family, my sister. Uh, over the past two weeks, we lost my niece, who was 49, her husband, who was in his 50s, and their 21-year-old daughter, who was 21 years old. All of them passed away from COVID complications. I really appreciate everybody's prayer. I know when my niece was the only one left, my sister was in tears saying, I just need one miracle. Can I just get one miracle out of the three? But my niece passed away probably within 24 hours. But I think God always answers prayer. I always want the miracle on this side. I'm just being honest. But I still pray for those miracles. But sometimes God gives us grace. And I'm so I'm praying for even a greater miracle for my sister that through this loss she can draw close to the Lord and that God I don't know how God does it, but God always shows up on time. God's always loving, God's always caring, and so I know God has a plan. And so I I pray that I have the opportunity to travel down to Atlanta and be able to do the service. I've never in all my years I've never done a service for three people at the same time. But I've talked to my sister, you know, it needs to be a celebration of life. It needs to be a time to just laugh together about some of the stories. So pray for her as we continue this process. And I'm not discouraged at all, but I try to call her almost every day and I just try to love on her. I don't try to explain. I don't have any, I, I do not use Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. That means nothing at a time like this, but I just love on her. And I know God is faithful. So I appreciate your prayers. I really do. So keep uh, Brenda. My sister's name is Brenda. My wife is Brenda, so it's easy to remember. They're both Brenda K, by the way. So anyway, but I appreciate your prayers for her. You know, there are some things in life that the Bible says we're to forget. We're to forget those things that are behind. When God saves us, I think we're to forget a lot of the failures. But there are other things in life we need to remember. That's why we celebrate communion on a regular basis, because God wants us to remember his death. And I believe in life. How many of you think it's a good idea to remember your spouse's birthday? All right, always a good idea. And uh, for those men out there, it's mostly us men, we need to remember our anniversary, all right? And so they say the best way to remember is to forget one year. But anyway... You need to remember. Remembering is important. Well, there are seven feasts in the Bible that God says, I want you to remember. And it's unfortunate that many times in the Western culture, we say, well, these feasts are only for the Jewish people. That's really sad because I believe there's a reason God gave these seven feasts. First of all, they all point to Jesus. And second of all, they're kind of a prophetic calendar, if you will. And so they're, they're relevant to people of all ages. And so I want to start back in Leviticus 23. If my clicker is working here, there it goes. So in Leviticus 23, it lists these seven feasts. And so it says, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts, God says. So I want you to understand, these aren't feasts that belong to the Jewish people. They're feasts that belong to God. That's really, really important to remember. The word feast there just means divine 
appointment. And so every year, God gave his children seven feasts that he wants them to remember. And so four of them are in the spring, three of them are in the fall. And so let's just kind of review, if you will. The first one was Passover. And Passover, they were to celebrate every year. They were to kill a lamb for the sins of their family. And as we look forward, we understand that Jesus was the Lamb of God. He was the Lamb that was slain for our sin. And by the way, when Jesus died, guess what day he died on? He died exactly on Passover. Not a day before, not a day after. When he was killed, it was at the very hour that they were to kill the Lamb. And so as they were celebrating all these feasts down through the years, one day Jesus would fulfill the ultimate uh, of that feast, Passover, when he died for us. When he was put into the grave, he was put into grave on the first day of unleavened bread. Now, unleavened bread, if you remembered, came right after Passover, and they were to take all the leaven or the yeast out of their house because that represented sin. And so when Jesus was put in the grave, I just want to remind you, the Bible says that he took our sin as far as the east is from the west, and so far he removed it from us. And so when he was put in the tomb on the Feast of First Fruits, or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he was celebrating that God removed our sin. When he rose from the grave, it was on the Feast of first fruits. When he came up out of that grave, I love how Paul says in 1 Corinthians that he is the first fruits of those who sleep. Because Jesus conquered death and the grave, I just want to tell you, we too are going to have a resurrected body. You know, these earth suits are made of dust. They go back to dust. But one day when we die, what we call death is just merely the spirit stepping out of the earth suit. But one day these bodies will be resurrected and be reunited to our spirit. Every time I have the privilege of standing over the graveside of a believer, I'm always reminded of 1 Corinthians 15 where the Bible says Jesus is the first fruits of those who slept. One day we're going to be resurrected because Jesus conquered death and the grave. So he died on Passover. He was put in the grave on the feast of unleavened bread and he rose on the feast of first fruits. Everything God did, everything he did through Jesus, he did exactly on these feast days. And when Pentecost came 50 days later, guess when the day of Pentecost? It was exactly the Holy Spirit came, not a day before, not a day after, but exactly on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, they were to celebrate the giving of the first law, which happened on the day of Pentecost. They were to celebrate all that God had given them. And so when God sent the Holy Spirit to begin the second covenant, it was exactly on the day of Pentecost. Can you see how important all of these feasts that we celebrate, they all point to Jesus, and they all, again, give us a prophetic calendar, if you will. And when Jesus came the first time, he fulfilled the first four feasts. But when he comes back the second time, my personal opinion is he's going to fulfill the three feasts in the fall. All right, so in between the spring and the fall, there is the summer. And I believe we're living in the summer harvest, if you will, a time where God is allowing people to be saved, to come to know Christ. But one day, he's coming again. And the three fall feasts, I think, speak to that. First of all, there's the Feast of Trumpets. 
All right? And we know the Bible says one day the trump will sound, that Christ will come back. I believe the Feast of Trumpets speaks of the rapture. Now, regardless of where you believe the rapture happens, I believe one day the church will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And it's going to be by the sound of a trumpet. Now, it's not a trumpet like we think of a trumpet, but I believe it would be the shofar. Now, if you go to Israel, even today, they still blow the shofar. And you can hear it all over Jerusalem. It's amazing how loud these shofars are. I didn't bring it in the first two services, but I brought it today. I'm going to try to blow it, all right? I got to spit it in a little bit. So look at that real close before you let your kids come up and try to blow it after the service, all right? So anyway, how many of you know it's been a while since I played the trumpet? Yeah, yeah. So you got to really pucker up to blow those things. But they're really, really loud. One day the trump will sound and Christ is coming back for the church. Why would we not want to celebrate that every year? By the way, uh, just a thought, if you parents want to get back at your kids... Get the grandkids a shofar. It's really loud and obnoxious. Anyway, you didn't hear that from me, all right? Anyway, so the Feast of Trumpets celebrates that Christ is coming back for the church. The Feast of Atonement, the Day of Atonement, I believe, is when Jesus comes all the way back to earth. And I believe the Bible teaches we're coming back with him. And in order for us to come back with him, we first of all have to be caught up with him. And then there's the Feast of Tabernacles. The last feast of the year, Tabernacles, I believe speaks of two things. First of all, the thousand-year reign of Christ. When he comes back, he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And we get to rule and reign with him. And it also speaks of that eternal city where he's going to, we're going to get to tabernacle with God throughout all eternity. All right? So let's just kind of look at the calendar here, if we can. September 6th and 7th of this year. Does anybody know what that was? Now, we don't celebrate it, but again, we're going back to these fall feasts. That was the Feast of Trumpets, all right? Even though it's one day in the Jewish calendar, you say, why do we celebrate on the 6th and 7th of our calendar? Because again, our days go from uh, midnight to midnight. But a Jewish calendar went from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m., all right? So if you're ever over in Israel for Shabbat or Sabbath, it always starts on 6 p.m. on Friday night. That's when everything shuts down. Everything reopens at 6 p.m. on Saturday night. So again, you say, where do they get that crazy idea that a days be from evening to evening from God? I just want to remind you, when God created everything, go back to Genesis 1. It says, the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning was the second day. So in God's eyes, the day begins in the evening to the next evening, all right? So for us, it would be two days. For them, it would be one day. So every year, they would celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. And then after that, well, just kind of a trivia question here. Where's the only place in the Bible that records the Feast of Trumpets being celebrated? Even though they were to do it every year, it's only recorded one time in the Bible where they were celebrating the Feast of Trumpets. And it's in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 2. And this is when Ezra stood and he read the book of the law from morning until midday. How many of you would be excited if you came to the 8 o'clock service and found out I was just going to read the scripture? Scripture all the way till noon. How many of you would stay with me? 
God bless three of you. All right, God bless three of you. This was a good time to fake it, folks. It was a good time to fake it because it's not the unpardonable sin. But he read from morning until midday. Can you imagine just getting up and reading the Bible from morning to midday? And the Bible says the ears of the people were attentive. The people said, amen, amen. That's why I don't think they were Baptists. They said, amen, amen. And then the Bible says they raised their hands. And then they all fell on their face and they worshiped God. And so the the Feast of Trumpets was a time of celebration. On September 15th and 16th of this year, in our calendar, was the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, all right? And so it was one day in their calendar, two days in our calendar, and it was a day where the sins were dealt with. This was the day that throughout the Bible, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies only one day a year. It was on Yom Kippur. Only one day a year could they go in the presence of God, and that was only the high priest. And he was going in to make atonement for sin. But every year they were to remember Yom Kippur. They were to remember that sin had to be dealt with. Aren't you glad that we get to look back to Calvary and know that the Lamb of God took away the sin of the world? So we have a lot to celebrate. And then from the 20th to the 27th of September this year was the Feast of Tabernacles. All right. In in the Hebrew, it's Sukkot. All right. Everybody say Sukkot. One more time, Sukkot. So that's the Hebrew, Sukkot. We call it the Feast of Tabernacles. It was to be seven days long. How many of you always look forward to back in the day? How many of you always enjoyed the four-day Thanksgiving holiday? Anybody here enjoy that? How many of you just had a burden doing that every year? And you just said, I, I, I just can't hardly do that every year. Can you imagine that? I always look forward to a four-day holiday. Can you imagine seven days? This was a seven-day holiday. That ought to make you a little happy. Every day, every year, seven days, they were to celebrate. It would begin on the 15th day of the seventh month. By the way, all three fall feasts began in that seventh month, all right? So uh, the Feast of Trumpets, and by the way, when you talk about the rapture, people say, well, we don't know the day or the hour. That's true. But they didn't know exactly when the seventh month was going to start because the month always went by a lunar and they never knew when they saw that first sliver of the moon that would start the seventh month. So they never knew the exact day or the hour they would see it. But when they saw it, that began the seventh month. So we don't know when the rapture is going to come. But I'm just going to give you again my opinion. It would not surprise me because everything Jesus did was right on the days of these feasts. It would not surprise me. I'm stepping out on a limb. I'm giving you my opinion. It would not surprise me if the rapture happened on the Feast of Trumpets. Wouldn't surprise me. It would not surprise me if the Day of Atonement, when Christ comes all the way back to earth, was on the Day of Atonement. And one day we're going to get to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And so the feast is also known as the Feast of Ingathering, the Feast of Booth, or the Feast of Tabernacle. And here's what the Bible says about this seven-day feast. Now, somebody says, well, didn't we talk about this last year? Yeah, we did. Are we going to talk about it next year? Yeah, we are, probably. All right? Because every year, he said, you're to remember, you're to celebrate. So he says, celebrate with joy before the Lord your God for seven days. You know, atonement was a time of fasting, a time of brokenness for sin. But this feast is a time to feast. A time to be joyous. We're commanded to be happy for a week. Isn't that crazy? 
How many of you think that would be good for one week just to be happy? All right, be joyful. Now, we have Thanksgiving. We have Thanksgiving. But, I mean, this was a full week of just being joyful before the Lord. And he says, you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of the beautiful trees, the branches of the palm trees, the branches of the leafy trees, the willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And so they were to take these branches and this fruit that looks like a lemon. It was an etrog. It was a large fruit. And they would put the etrog and these branches together, which they called a lulav, and they would hold them and they would wave them before God. And what they were saying is they were celebrating is, God, everything we have is a gift from you. They were just grateful and thankful that everything they had came from God. They would wave it this way, and then they would turn and wave it this way. Then they would wave it to the north. They would wave it to the east. They literally would wave it in every direction because they wanted everyone to know that God is a good God. You know, sometimes it's so easy to see the negative in life, we forget to be thankful. But this feast, they were to celebrate. They were to come together and celebrate with joy. So I want us to do that if we can. By the way, the 8 o'clock service almost got Baptocostal. It was crazy. It was crazy. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand. You're not leaving yet. You're not leaving yet, all right? You're going to get to participate if you're able. You can stay seated if you want to stay seated. But we, we, we just want to give this blessing to God. They would, they would wave the lulav and the etrog before God, and they would just thank God. And so what I want us to do, we don't, I don't have a lulav for everybody or an etrog for everybody. I want you to get, guys, if you have your billfold, get your billfold out. Ladies, if you have uh, some kind of a billfold in your purse, get it out. We are not going to take an offering. All right, everybody take a deep breath. You're going to get to put it back in your pocket. But I want that wallet to represent everything that God has given you. I want us just to take a minute and just love on God. Now, you would think by the third service I would remember to bring my wallet, but I didn't. I leave my wallet and my phone in the office. As soon as I get here on Sunday morning, put the wallet, my phone in the office. I put my phone in the office because Bob Caldwell is known to call people during church. <laughs> so anyway, I leave it in there. So anyway, but you think I would remember to bring it, but I didn't. So I've got a, I don't, I don't have my wallet. So I'm, I got my uh, key. I got a key here. I'm going to hold my key up, all right? If you don't have a wallet, hold up a key or just hold up your hand, all right? And so I want us to do this the best we can, just to love on God. So this is what they would say to God during the Feast of Tabernacles. As they were worshiping God, they were just so grateful and so thankful that they could gather together at the end of the harvest. And this was something they would do together. They would come together and to celebrate. And they would say this. So with our wallets up in the air or your key, whatever you got, I want us to say as, as worshipfully as we can, Let's say together, our praise to you, eternal, our God, sovereign of all. You hollow us with your word and command us to dwell in the sukkah. Our praise to you, eternal, our God, sovereign of all, whose word teaches us holiness and who instructs us to take up the lulav. And so they're just worshiping God and they're thanking God for all the blessings of life. You may be seated. 
How many of you know there's a time in the Christian life to be broken over sin? But there's also a time that we ought to be free to celebrate and to literally just break loose in joy. I shared this last year, but this was actually on a marquee out in front of a church. Church is a lifeboat, not a party boat, people. In other words, if you go to that church, it's going to be sour. They ain't going to have any fun at that church. Now, I think there's a time to be serious. But the Feast of Tabernacles reminds us there's a time to be joyful. Here's how it should read, in my humble opinion. Church is a lifeboat that should become a party boat. How many of you are still glad you came? How many of you are holding on, hoping it doesn't break loose today? I love the dancers, by the way. How many of you ever thought you'd see dancing in the Baptist church? Psalms 150. Somebody says, you got a scripture for that, pastor? Yeah, I do. Psalms 150. Verse 4 says, praise Him with the dance. Now, I grew up Baptist. I, I can't dance, so it didn't bother me. For the most part, Baptists are against dancing. It didn't bother me because I can't dance. I'm not against dancing. I just, I don't have any rhythm. Ecclesiastes says there's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. Can I tell you one thing I think we're missing? We're, we're, we have enough brokenness. We have enough sorrow. We have enough hurt. The time we're missing is the time to cut loose and just be happy, to be joyful. It doesn't mean everything's right out here, but it means everything's right up there. Luke 15, one of my favorite stories of the prodigal son. I know we preach on it. When the prodigal son comes home, the father gets so excited. And we always preach that as about us coming back and getting saved. And remember, the father got so excited when the elder son was coming back to the house, he heard two things. You remember? He heard music and he heard dancing. Now, when you can hear people dance, it's loud and obnoxious. But here the Father, and I've heard Baptist preachers preach on that dozens and dozens of times. I've never heard a Baptist preacher talk about the dancing. They cut it off. But the Bible says, I think heaven gets so excited when someone gets saved. I mean, I just think they cut loose, and I think they're walking and leaping and praising God. Remember Daniel when he brought the Ark of the Covenant back, which represented God? One of the first things he did as king was bring the Ark of the Covenant back. And when he did, the Bible says he came walking and leaping and praising God. King James says he was dancing. His wife got upset. She was Baptist. She got upset. (laughs) But sometimes, sometimes there's that time that you just want to cut loose and just worship. By the way, in the Jewish culture, it wouldn't look like this. It would look more like this. If you've ever been over to Jerusalem when they're having a celebration, you can tell the visitors, they're all got the cameras, they're filming it. I mean, we were over there when they were having a bar mitzvah. Young boy turning to an adult. I mean, they had him up in the air, they're dancing, woo, they're throwing candy. They got some guy out in front with the shofar, he's blowing the shofar. They got band tambourines going. I mean, they are flat getting with it. By the way, I didn't share this in the first two services. We were over there, and, and they, were ha- they had a circle. We went down to Ben Yehuda Street, which is a street there in Jerusalem, and they had a big circle. 
And they were out in the circle and they were dancing. Woo! And they were just taking turns going out in the circle. And before I knew it, Matt Dudley, Matt Dudley, who's pastor in the Red Church and stuff, he goes out there. He takes his jacket off. And he's waving that jacket. He lost everything. And I did the Christian thing. I videoed it. I videoed. I got him on video. Woo! He was out there just shaking. And you know what? No one even paid him any attention because everybody was doing that. Wouldn't it be fun some Sunday just to see something cut loose? I mean, just to see us get so happy that we begin to walk and to leap and to praise God that He would love us enough to want to hang out with us. And so church is a lifeboat that should become a party boat, all right? It goes on in Leviticus to say this. This is a permanent law for you. It must be observed in the appointed month from generation to generation. You must live outside in little shelters, which they call sukkahs. So during Sukkot, they were to dwell in sukkahs. And this will remind each new generation of Israelites that I have made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. And so God wanted them to remember that 40-year wilderness experience. What was it about that that was so important to God? So, by the way, I looked, last year I looked, and I found they have a sukkah depot. You can actually buy a sukkah. And so, again, a little temporary shelter, because during this Feast of Tabernacles, they were to get away from their normal, everyday routine, They were to simplify life and go back and remember that God dwelt with the children of Israel through that 40-year wilderness experience. And so I actually went on Sukkah Depot, and you can actually buy sukkahs. And it doesn't matter really what they are. You can make them homemade. They can be very simple. But it's just a little temporary shelter where you can get away from the hustle and bustle of life and just get back to worshiping and loving and thinking on God. And then so I thought, this was just two days ago, Friday, I Amazoned it. I got on Amazon, I typed in sukkah. And you can actually buy all the way from kids, all the way up, all kinds of things about sukkah. And then last year I looked on Walmart. How many of you are surprised that Walmart sells sukkahs? You won't, I've never seen one set up in a store, but if you go on their website, you can actually order sukkahs. Again, a little temporary shelter where we can get away from the hustle and bustle and just love on God and just worship God. And so over the years, I've shown you some pictures of sukkahs. They make them all different ways. By the way, if I built a sukkah, it would be extremely boring. All right? I'm a very boring person. If Brenda built a sukkah, it would have home interiors on the wall. It would be very, very pretty and lovely. All right? But anyway, a lot of different sukkahs. These are some mobile sukkahs. I like that. You can take them with you. And then there's people who live in hotels or live in apartments out on their deck. They build a sukkah out on their, on their patio. That's kind of cool. So they have a temporary shelter. Uh, people who can't find a sukkah, they will bring one to you. All right. They put them on the back of these trucks. But this is one of my favorites, these guys on bikes. So they drive around. If you're walking on the sidewalk and you just want to get happy, you flag them down, all right? So notice, oh wait, let me back up there. Notice what it says on this guy's. It says, your sukkah has arrived. I love that. It says, flag me down, 
step inside, and the last one says, shake. How cool is that? Flag me down, step inside, and shake. How many of you love to have a little camera and watching the staff get free? And the deacons. I love to have a candid camera in those sukkahs. But there is a place, there's a place in all of us that just want to be free and be happy in the Lord. So I love these, these sukkahs. So what's so important about Sukkot are the Feast of Tabernacles? Why is it the last feast at the end of the Jewish calendar? Why is it seven days long? And why are we commanded to do it with great joy? I just want to go back to the beginning and just remind you that when God created everything, He created man on the last day. And I believe He created man to have an intimate relationship with Himself. I don't think He created man to evangelize because there was no need to evangelize at that time and there was nobody to evangelize. But I think He made Adam and Eve to have a love relationship with Himself. As a matter of fact, I just remind you that He made Adam and Eve on the sixth day. I think he made Adam and Eve on the sixth day because I think if he made us first, we would have helped taken credit for, for creation. But he made us last on the sixth day. So Adam and Eve's very first day on this earth, their very first full day was the seventh day, which was Sabbath. So the very first day they're on earth, they just get to hang out with God and tabernacle with God. God loves us. I heard a phrase a couple years ago that is lodged in my brain. And that is true love seeks union. True love seeks union. Because God is love, he desires an intimate relationship with us. But then Adam and Eve sinned. We know they disobeyed God. And the Bible says they were put out of the garden. So that intimate relationship that God desired with man was now broken because of sin. But when they were going through the wilderness experience... Again, God wanted to come down and tabernacle with the children of Israel. Even though that they were a grumbling, griping group of people, the love of God wanted to come down and tabernacle with the children of Israel because true love seeks union. And I love what God said to Moses, On the first day of the month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting. So Moses finished the work. And so Moses built the tabernacle exactly how God designed it. And by the way, when he built the tabernacle, it's interesting to me that he built it right in the middle of the children of Israel. Isn't that kind of exciting? There are no big shots and little shots with God, but God wanted to be right in the middle of the children of Israel. Why did God want to do that? Because his love is, is, seeks union. He desires intimacy with his people. And I love how the Bible says when Moses finished everything according to how God wanted it, a cloud covered the tabernacle of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God came down and he again desired to tabernacle or be close to the children of Israel. And you say, well, why was there kind of a separation? The book of Numbers says, they shall camp all around the tent of the meeting or the tabernacle, but at a distance. Why were they kept at a distance? It wasn't that God didn't desire intimacy. They were kept at a distance because of sin. But even though man had sinned and even though they were a rebellious group of people, God loved them so much, he wanted to come down and tabernacle with them through that wilderness journey. But God wasn't content just tabernacling at a distance. 
And what we're getting ready to celebrate with Christmas is the fact that, that God came down and took on an earth suit. I love how John says it in John 1.14. The Word, who is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word dwell is the exact same word as tabernacle. Young's uh, tra- literal translation says it this way. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. God loved us so much that he sent his son to earth because he wanted to tabernacle among us. I'm so thankful that God's love seeks union. And so the Bible says in Mark 3, he appointed 12 that they might be what? With him. Does that surprise you that he wanted the 12 to be with him? Because true love seeks union. And so when he walked this earth, how amazing would it be for God to be walking side by side with us? Because he loves us and he desires that intimacy with us. But God's ultimate plan wasn't to walk side by side with us. I think we ought to always celebrate Christmas. It's always a miracle that God became flesh. But can I tell you, I don't know why we don't celebrate Pentecost every year. That God loved us so much that he was willing to come down and not just walk beside us, but he was willing to come down and live inside of this sukkah, inside of this earth suit. He's willing to come and live inside of us. We ought to celebrate Pentecost every year because he loves us so much. And so that's why he said to his disciples near the end of his ministry in John chapter 14, as he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he describes him as the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he will dwell or tabernacle with you. He will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. How crazy is it that the God that we serve He loves us so much that the wilderness experience, he wanted to tabernacle with the children of Israel, even though it was at a distance, he still sought that unity, that love. But he loved us so much that he allowed Jesus to come down and take on an earth suit and to die on the cross for the very thing that had separated us from God. Why did God do that? Why did Jesus die for our sin? Because he wanted intimacy with us. He would rather die on the cross for our sin than to have heaven without us. That's love. That's a crazy kind of love that God has. And I love how the Bible says one day he's coming back. One day he's coming back to earth. The Bible says in Revelation 19, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. He who sat on it was called faithful and true. And Jude tells us that he's coming back with ten thousands of his saints. And in order for us to come back with him, we first of all have to go up. And so I believe when he comes back, we're coming back with him. You say, why would Jesus bring us back? Why would he bring us back with him? Because true love seeks union. When he sets and rules and reigns for a thousand years, we're going to get to tabernacle with God. You say, what are we going to do during that thousand year period? I don't know all we're going to do, but I believe if we study the Feast of Tabernacles, it gives us some idea of what we're going to do during that millennial reign. I think it's going to be a time of tremendous joy. It's going to be a time where we're connected with God. We're connected with each other. I think it's going to be a great, great celebration. And during that thousand year reign of Christ, the Bible says they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Why would God want us to live and reign with him? Because true love seeks union. 
God's desire throughout all eternity is to be, have intimate fellowship and a relationship with us. You say, why is the Feast of Tabernacles so important? Why do I preach about it almost every year? Notice what it says in the book of Zechariah. During that thousand-year reign of Christ, it says, All the nations shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Not only were they to keep it down through the years, but the Bible says one day during that thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, one of the things God is going to require of all nations on the earth, and that is that they pilgrimage back to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. You kind of get the idea it's pretty important to God to understand that we need to come together and to worship and to celebrate. And somebody says to me, did Jesus ever keep the Feast of Tabernacles? Yes, he did. In John chapter 7, when Jesus went, his brothers, by the way, his brothers came to him and said, we need to go to the feast. And he said, I'm not going just yet. So they went, and then he went up, the Bible says, secretly, and he was there for the feast of tabernacles. By the way, on the last day, which they describe as the great day of the feast, they would have this water-pouring ceremony. They would go down to the pool of Siloam, bring a pitcher of water up, and they would pour it out, just thanking God for the rain and praying for the future rain. And I believe it was during that water-pouring ceremony that Jesus stood and he cried out in John chapter 7, because it says it was on the last day, the great day of the feast, which would have been the water-pouring ceremony, that Jesus Jesus cried out, He who is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I mean, everything Jesus did was right on the feast days. Why would we think that we can't celebrate the feast days? Because every feast points to Jesus. All the feasts together are a prophetic calendar of God's timetable. We know that Jesus fulfilled the first four when he came the first time. I just have to believe with confidence that when he comes back, he's going to fulfill the last three. I just believe that. I could be wrong. My last two slides. When the thousand years is over and Satan is cast into the pit forever, how many of you are going to be glad when the rascal's gone forever? Then the Bible says there's going to be a great white throne judgment. Everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life will stand before God. And then after that is eternity. After that, we get to celebrate eternity. John says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. You know, heaven, people say to me, man, I can't wait to see the street of gold. That's going to be amazing. I can't wait to see the, the, the pearly gates. Can I tell you, of all the things of heaven, the most glorious thing is God. That we get to hang out with God throughout all eternity. We get to tabernacle with God, celebrate with joy. I think heaven's going to be a time of tremendous joy. I really do. And I'm glad that we don't have to wait till we get there to celebrate. I think God every year wants us to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, to remember God's faithfulness, and to remember that one day we get to tabernacle with Him throughout all eternity. You know, I say to people, someone in the middle service said to me, because people will ask me from time to time, would you do my funeral? Would you do my funeral? Here's what I always say, always say it. I say, if you go first, I would be happy and honored to do your service. 
But if I go first, you have to dance at my funeral. So if you're here when I'm gone, there should be a lot of dancing. And it's okay. It's okay. I mean, won't it be great someday? Wouldn't you, don't you just desire in your heart somewhere? Somebody said to me, man, I, I was that close to cutting loose. I was that close to getting free. I just want to push you in today. Wouldn't it be great some Sunday just to be free in Jesus and not care what people think and not care what people see? There is a time to mourn, but there's a time to celebrate. That's why they end every year with a celebration. And this journey is going to end in a positive way. Our family is going through a dark time. But can I tell you, this isn't the final chapter. That's why we want to read the end of the story. And I just want to remind you that God loves you so much. As we're celebrating Christmas, I think it's awesome to celebrate Christmas. But to stop there... We kind of rob ourselves because he loves us not only to walk again beside us, he wants to come and live in us. God wants us to have joy. I hope this year as we're approaching Christmas, I hope somewhere through this holiday season, you can get along with God and make a sukkah out of your car, out of your bathroom, somewhere where you can just let it go and just love on God and just be grateful.